0: Welcome to the Blockbusters and Birdwalks podcast. I am the curator, Garrett Chaffin-Kirai. Among other outstanding attributes, Oliver Stone's platoon, 1986, is an exhibition of classical Hollywood style. The story centers on Chris Taylor, Charlie Sheen, who has dropped out of Yale and volunteered for General Infantry. A true believer in national service, we meet Chris as he de in-country. It's hot and dusty, and Chris is greeted by head-shaking bush soldiers coming in from the jungle. Then we see body bags, the dead soldiers Chris is replacing. Importantly, and as a great classical-style story, Platoon's opening sequence is echoed in the conclusion when Chris leaves Vietnam by helicopter, headed to a rear-aid station, and circles over a massive battlefield that features dozens of dead soldiers. Chris cries and signs off from the narrative in the last of several voiceover monologues that connect our spectator experience with Chris's private thoughts. In between these bookends of Chris confronting the dead, the beginning and ending of the movie, Platoon marches through roughly six months of his tour of duty as he shifts away from being an unskilled, green soldier into a hardened warrior. In these fast-moving vignettes, Chris endures trials, makes friends, participates in firefights, recreates, and sees several pathways forward into his peculiar style of maturity that marks him as both a symbol of the boomer Vietnam generation and as arbiter for how to build a better world critical to the story's success is our identification with Chris. Suturing us into his point of view is first accomplished because we see the eponymous platoon's maneuvers from Chris's limited position. We are also the only ones who hear Chris's monologues, first reported as a series of letters to his faraway grandmother. Somebody once wrote,
1: hell is the impossibility of reason. That's what this place feels like, hell. I hate it already and it's only been a week. Some goddamn week, Grandma. The hardest thing I think I've ever done is go on point three times this week. I don't even know what I'm doing. A gook could be standing three feet in front of me, and I wouldn't know it. I'm so tired. We get up at 5 a.m., hump all day, camp around 4 or 5, dig a foxhole, eat, then put out an all-night ambush or a three-man listening post in the jungle. It's scary, because nobody tells me how to do anything, because I'm new. Nobody cares about the new guys. They don't even want to know your name. The unwritten rule is a new guy's life isn't worth as much because he hasn't put his time in yet. And they say if you're going to get killed in the Nam, it's better to get it in the first few weeks. The logic being, you don't suffer that much. If you're lucky, you get to stay in the perimeter at night, and then you pull a three-hour guard shift. So maybe you sleep three,
0: four hours a night, but you don't really sleep. Then we watch Chris learning the tricks of the trade, like foxhole building, filling a backpack, keeping still during surveillance, and knuckling under the chain of command. Most importantly, we feel Chris's negotiation of competing influences that force him to make key decisions, and it's this issue of motivated behavior that matters most because Chris makes two key decisions that force the movie story to unravel in exactly the linear manner that composes its plot start to finish. The first key decision follows a nighttime ambush the platoon sets for an NVA patrol. We've already learned the basic structure of the platoon, nominally led by Lieutenant Wolf, Mark Moses, but really controlled by Staff Sergeant Barnes, Tom Beringer, who delegates to his fellow squad leaders, Sergeants Elias, Willem Defoe O'Neill, John C. McGinley, and Warren, Tony Todd. The ambush results in one KIA, and Chris, who is injured in the firefight, is blamed for the mishap by another soldier, Junior, Reggie Johnson, who fell asleep on his watch and failed to warn the patrol of the enemy's encroachment. Barnes exhorts the survivors to take better care on patrol or face his wrath, and Chris speaks up for himself, however briefly, because he can't stand the idea that he failed to fulfill the one central duty of every trooper, keep your fellows alive or die trying. This simple act, one of several fast-moving character notes in a tense scene of violence and suffering, is pivotal because Chris becomes a proper soldier. He realizes his dependence on others, the terrible stakes of Warcraft, and he shows some small moral courage by asserting the truth. This shifts the movie from Act One to Act Two. After recovering from his injury, Chris rejoins the platoon and is immediately drawn into the Circle of Heads, a tribe of soldiers who smoke pot under the general influence of Sergeant Elias.
1: First time? Yeah. Then the worm has definitely turned for you, man. Feel good? Yeah, it feels good. I got no pain in my neck, man. Feeling good's good enough.
0: Elias' squad is joyful, physically close, and they enjoy Motown.
1: So take a good look at my face
0: Opposite this group is the tribe that orbits Barnes. We don't smoke marijuana. Man, what hell is everybody, man? They're getting high. That's what. A bunch of hopheads. They think we there's something special, the man. Listen to that. That's a bad jam. Barnes' squad views Elias's heads as poison, while taking solace in Barnes's hard form of racist and aggressive manhood.
1: Hey, what do you say there, LP? How you doing there, Red? I'm not good, not good. Uh-huh. This cocksucker's got every card in the deck. Poor house. <laughs> <laughs> Look like you're doing all right there, Sergeant.
0: Yeah, and I ain't even cheating yet. The platoon ranges farther along the Vietnam-Cambodian border, chalking up more injuries and deaths until Barnes leads them into a My style massacre in which Barnes unleashes hell, killing civilians. When Elias stops the madness, fighting with Barnes and threatening a court-martial, the platoon pushes on to rejoin their rapidly depleted company under the command of Captain Harris, Dale die, In an NVA ambush made worse because Lieutenant Wolfe calls in an artillery strike that kills several platoon members with friendly fire, Elias outflanks the enemy with Chris and two other soldiers. Wolfe signals a retreat, and Chris helps an injured man back to the platoon, leaving Elias alone in the jungle where Barnes shoots him behind enemy lines. As the platoon evacuates by helicopter, they fly over Elias, who is pursued by the enemy, and Chris realizes that Barnes fragged Elias, the lone complainant against Barnes for the village massacre. During the aftermath, a drunken Barnes confronts Chris and the surviving heads. Chris attacks Barnes, but is overpowered, and the matter fades into the background as the platoon joins in a company-wide stand against an all-out NVA assault. During the resulting nighttime fight, the NVA overrun the company's perimeter, and Captain Harris orders a napalm run over their position. Chris finds Barnes in the fight, but Barnes turns on him, attempting to kill Chris just as napalm lights up the hillside. In the morning, Chris awakens, burned and confused. He picks up an AK-47 and finds Barnes crawling around. Get me a medic. This shifts the movie from act two to act three. Killing Barnes is the price Chris pays for rebalancing his moral universe between good and bad. Injured and alone, he's picked up by Army engineers and closes out the story of Platoon with a helicopter shot that circles the battlefield. We see all the dozens of dead NVA and American soldiers, and we hear Chris explaining that we must build something better in this world based on the memory of what happened in Vietnam. Platoon is a linear story that offers perfectly clear images and sounds, It offers a primary theme about the complicated relationship between fathers and sons, depicted through both the Barnes-Chris dyad and the Elias-Chris connection, and it offers a secondary theme centered on the beauty of found family. Organized first around Chris's introduction to the heads through association with King, Keith David, along with non-Chris-centered glimpses of other soldiers like Bunny, Kevin Dillon, Big Harold, Forrest Whitaker, Ra, Francesco Quinn, Francis, Corey Glover, and Lerner, Johnny Depp. Platoon is also morally grounded. Right and wrong are rigorously explored, both in the sense of how to favor good over evil and how to behave properly in a situation of extraordinary danger, as in the American War in Vietnam. Violence is everywhere present, and Chris's ability to adapt to his humanity, to recognize the struggle for survival and to turn away from neutering his judgment, while finally turned into an epic-scale version of killing your idols, is nonetheless emotionally resonant because Chris does the right thing. Classical style is also present because the storytelling technique, like maintaining screen geography and transitioning among shots, does not draw attention to the mode of production. Instead, each vignette of the plot is cleanly organized with shot selections that are cut to reveal narrative information motivated by on-screen action, a character does something and we see and hear the consequences played through in a causal string. Fades are used to signal the passage of time, and inserts are used to give the visual flair of jungle warfare inside a rich, natural environment of plants and animals. Altogether, Platoon is a beautifully crafted classical-style story. While its subject is profane, graphically violent, and frequently hard to hear and watch, it is nonetheless solidly expressing a single protagonist's story through a motivated, realistic, and emotionally resonant story world that leaves a long tale of impression after the movie has ended. Stone has accomplished something remarkable, inasmuch as Platoon set the stage for a generational reckoning with war from the perspective of inside scoop, since Stone, like Chris, dropped out of Yale to join the army in pursuit of something like citizenship. The war is over for me now,
1: but it will always be there the rest of my days, as I'm sure Elias will be, fighting with Barnes for what Ra called possession of my soul. There are times since I've felt like the child born of those two fathers. But be that as it may, those of us who did make it have an obligation to build again. To teach to to others what we know. And to try with what's left of our lives to find a goodness and meaning to this life.
0: Thank you for listening to the Blockbusters and Birdwalks podcast. My name is Garrett Chaffin-Kirai. Boop boopity doo!